0: We're going to be in the, the book of Nehemiah today. We've been going through it now over uh, five or six weeks. It's in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And uh, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah uh, and his friends building up the, the walls of Jerusalem. And um, some of you have already uh, made mention of this this morning um, to me. But we obviously know that right now uh, things are very, very tense indeed in Jerusalem and um, in Israel itself. And I thought it would be just good to pray um, as we pray f- just for our hearts, as we open up God's word, just to pray for peace as well. So should we do that? Yeah, Father God, we just as we come to your word today, we want to ask for our own hearts, that you would come and move in our hearts, that you would do good things in our lives and our hearts today as we open up your word. And Lord, we just pray as well uh, for the situation in the Middle East right now. We ask you for peace. We ask you, Father, that the fighting will cease and cease soon. And we ask you for wisdom for political leaders on both sides. And we pray, Father, that you would save many, many people, that many will come to a knowledge of you through your son, Jesus, and that the that forgiveness will be able to flow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, last week or two weeks ago, we... Um, we celebrated that we had been in this building for two years. We had our first Sunday gathering just over two years ago uh, in this building. But five years ago, around now, we had our first gathering in this building. And this is a gathering that took place uh, downstairs in one of the old cinema screens. And it was very kind of musty smelling in the building because the building had been abandoned for uh, 15 years or so. Uh, we didn't have any electricity in much of the building. Uh, water was running in in parts of the building. And, uh, and there was still 15-year-old popcorn in the popcorn dish. Um, but it was a glorious evening as we came together um, to pray, And around that time, because we had obviously just got the keys, there was a number of um, stories in the media about our plans. Uh, we were covered on the BBC, we were covered in the Ipswich Star, the Eastern Daily uh, Press as well, uh, a number of articles covering our plans to turn this building into our, uh, our home and our place of worship. And I have often been advised by older and wiser pastors, never read the comment sections when your church is profiled in the media. Just don't go there. But I'm kind of quite sadistic, and I just read them, okay? And uh, there was some um, kind of interesting comments in that time. Some of them were were very, very hard and harsh. Uh, Some people who um, really just were so anti uh, any kind of church, of any description kind of rising in this uh, in this town and and taking on this building. Some were kind of just kind of like moaning. Do we need another church? Do we really need one? And so on. Uh, Some were funny. Uh, We had someone who probably wasn't intentionally funny, but was outraged that this would become a church building because they said, where on earth is the graveyard going to go? And then we had another person say, well, for me, I'm really glad that this is going to become a church building because I had my first date with my wife at the Odeon Cinema, and I can now tell people that I first kissed my wife on the back row of a church. So that was kind of like a, a nice comment. I like that one. But there was some, some very antagonistic comments in the process, and there was some mockery as well. And we don't like being mocked, do we? We like to be respected. In our hearts, there's something that really wants to be praised by other people and wants to be seen as in and cool. And we don't like to be mocked. And if we're not careful, sometimes mockery can kind of stop us in our tracks. It can kind of make us think, well, I don't really want to go forward because not everyone's on board with this. Not everyone's kind of for this. And it can be quite a powerful thing. And in today's uh, chapter, as we go forward into the book of Nehemiah, we see that Nehemiah and his friends begin the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, which had been uh, laid to waste over uh, many years, and the city was in total uh, destruction, really. And Nehemiah and his friends, they start to build, and they encounter some mockery. And we're going to see how Nehemiah handles that. But we we just have to understand something before we kind of dive into today's uh, message, We might not be about a building project at this time. We've kind of been through that, done that. We're going to do some uh, things on our our building, I'm sure, in the years to come. But uh, we are building something that's actually more significant than um, bricks and mortar. We're, We're part of a bigger building project because Jesus himself has said that he will build his church and the powers of hell will not overcome it. So Jesus is about a building project. He's the the greater Nehemiah, if you will. He's about something in the world that he's building. He's building his church, a body of people with him at the head, a a new community that would be made up of people of every nation. He's he's building for himself a, a temple, a dwelling place on earth, wherever his people gather, that he would be known, his presence would be known. He's building a family, friends. He's building a household right across the earth. And we, like Nehemiah's friends, we get in behind the greater Nehemiah. We get in behind Jesus and we build with him. But we need to understand this. Just as uh, Nehemiah was opposed, so the greater Nehemiah is opposed. And so the greater Nehemiah, Jesus, is opposed, so we will be opposed. We will face opposition. And we're going to see how Nehemiah handles opposition. We're going to see how he handles the obstacles that he faces. And we're going to see that he remained faithful under fire. Nehemiah remained faithful under fire. Now, we, friends, we face opposition in the form of uh, people maybe mocking us at times or people misunderstanding or um, misrepresenting us. But the opposition that we face primarily is not really what we think it is. We face something that is not a flesh and blood thing. Now, it's quite tempting for, for Christians to be drawn into culture wars, where we kind of want to fight for uh, Christian values to be accepted by uh, a society that have, has predominantly turned its back on Jesus. I mean, it's quite tempting, isn't it, to get it drawn into sort of raging against some things that we see happening. Raging against, yes, and it's right that we feel that way. It's right that we feel a sense of, God, this is not how it's meant to be. But we are not, friends, to be drawn into seeing other people as the enemy. That can be very, very tempting. It's a very powerful thing. I mean, right in in the States right now, there's a nation divided between Republican and Democrat. And there there are whole swathes of the population who identify as evangelical Christians who would see Democrats as the enemy in a war for the soul of the nation. And, and, and whole kind of uh, there's dividing lines on these kinds of issues. And, and this kind of sense in which the enemy is that party. The enemy is that person with that ideology. But the Bible makes it really, really clear that the opposition we face, the, the enemy we have, and we do have an enemy, is not flesh and blood. Jesus says that I will build my church and the powers of hell will not overcome it. So there are powers in opposition to the building of Jesus' church, the establishing of his kingdom on the earth, but it's the powers of hell. And they will uh, operate through people, but we really need to understand this, that the kind of people that we might be tempted to see as the enemy may one day be our brothers and sisters in Christ. That happened with the Apostle Paul. There was a time when This guy, his name was, he was mostly known as Saul back then. He came to be known as Paul and became a great apostle, a sent one for Jesus, who saw so many people come to know Jesus. But before that, he was persecuting the church. He was breathing out murderous threats against the church, seeing Christians dragged into prison, seeing people killed on account of their faith in Jesus. He was not the enemy to the Christians then. Do you understand that? that he was actually ensnared by an enemy, but he was not the enemy. And Paul would be able to say in Ephesians chapter 6 that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities, the, the powers of this dark world That in the heavenly realms. There's, a, there's, a, there's some powers of hell that actually oppose us. The Apostle Peter says that, the, that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion he doesn't say our enemy the emperor doesn't say our enemy the romans doesn't say our enemy some kind of politicians herod or whoever he says our enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion so we've got to understand friends that the opposition that we face is not what we might think we might be tempted to kind of engage in culture wars and i'm not saying let us not vote or let us not pray for our uh, politicians we're commanded to do that actually I'm not saying do not engage with things that we see as injustice. We can do that in a way that doesn't see others as the enemy. Because one day those people may well end up as brothers and sisters of ours in our church or in other churches. Do you understand? So just as we kind of engage in this, I just want to uh, help us to see we, we, we are not in a, in, in a culture war here. We're not to engage in something of, well, they are the enemy. Those people, that party, they're the enemy and we're, we're in the right. No, 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 we're, we are getting behind. We've got, too much, we've, we've got too much to do than to get involved in that. We're, we're behind the greater Nehemiah who's building something in the world. And we want to get behind him. And as with every building project, there are obstacles in the way. I want to just share with you actually, just before we come on to the obstacles, I want to share with you some verses that really helped me this week from 2 Timothy and chapter 2. <clears throat> just might flick there in your Bible. This is what, um, what Paul writes to, to his protege Timothy. He says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You see there? There's, there's a gentleness that actually we're to have. And so even when we find ourselves discussing great matters of importance, we've, we've, we're to have a gentleness. And we're to pray for those that actually may oppose. And pray that they will come to know the truth of God. Because they're actually, as we see here, they're ensnared. They're ensnared. They're trapped by the evil one who, who really is our enemy. Do you understand that, friends? Must, we must get this right. It's going to be more and more tempting in this nation, I think, to kind of fall into these kind of culture wars that can be pretty ugly. And we, see, we, and we kind of put our faith in politicians and stuff like that. That is ugly. We mustn't get there. We mustn't say, well, if only we get that person in charge, then we're really going to be okay. This is no. that. No, Jesus is our hope. He's the great one that we're following in behind. So let's look at the obstacles in the way. We, As a, as a church here, as we went through our building project, we, uh, the first big obstacle was finance. How are we going to do this? The second big obstacle was COVID. How can we do this when we can, we can only be within three, three meters of each other? Uh, and then the, the construction uh, industry had to shut down for a while. The next one we had, again, was resources once again. Uh, the next one we had was... Um, how are we going to do this with this contractor and that contractor here? And there was all kinds of logistical things. People let us down, things that were tricky. There were obstacles, as, as there are in every building project. And so as Nehemiah and his friends, they start the building project of building up uh, Jerusalem again. They encounter five obstacles that we're going to cover this week. The first one is mockery. We've touched upon this already. And, and mockery often comes from a place of indifference. I think most of the people who made kind of jovial comments about our uh, building project here. They're just from a place of indifference. It wasn't from a place of deep hatred. It wasn't from a place of great antagonism. But we see here, as we're going to read, verses 1 to 5 of Nehemiah chapter 4, that it actually sometimes comes from a place of fury and hate. So let's read this together. When Sanballat heard we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And there I prayed this, hear us, our God, for we are despised, turn their insults back on their own heads, give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they've thrown insults in the face of the builders and this mockery you need to see this here it 's coming from a place of real hate on Sambalat's part. he is really opposed to the work that's going on in Jerusalem. He's really opposed to uh, Jerusalem and Israel, or Judah as it was known, being the city and the nation that they were supposed to be. He's really deeply angered by what he sees. And so he begins to mock them. And he mocks them in the presence of his associates. Sounds very important, doesn't it? And he mocks them in the presence of the army, probably the chiefs of the army. He's mocking them in the presence of the in crowd. The people whose opinion seems to matter. You know, sometimes we long to be in with the in crowd, don't we? We want to be respected by those who are respectable. We want to be respected by those that are kind of important and powerful. And we've got to kind of settle it in our hearts that, as I said the other week, that the message that we believe in as Christians, and I guess that's probably 90% of people here, the message we believe in is foolishness. It's foolishness to the world. It was foolishness back in the first century when Jesus' disciples began to spread it. It was a foolish message of a man who would, uh, of, of, of a God who would enter human history as a child and who would be re- despised and rejected even by his own brothers and sisters and who would actually die on a cross. I mean, the The Romans spared their own citizens the shame of the cross. It was such a shameful, horrific death that the Romans wouldn't even let their own citizens have such a death. They would spare it for non-Roman citizens. This is how bad the cross was. This is how shameful it was. This is how horrendous it was. This is how much of a a, a, a huge um, embarrassment it would have been in some respects to share the good news of Jesus in that context. You, t- you just imagine just sharing that with someone who's like a Roman or just in that culture. You're telling me he died on a cross. You're telling me your God died on a cross. You're telling me that he died naked on a cross, spat upon, and, hurt, and, and with insults hurled at him. You're telling me that, and you expect me to, to, to believe that. It was foolishness then, which is one of the most the biggest reasons why I, I believe it with all my heart to be true, that it was even adopted by so many because God was at work. It was a foolish message. And it's a foolish message now. You can't make Christianity respectable. You can't make it. You can try to present it well. You can do it with gentleness and respect. And you can, you can try and make it you know, understandable. But it's, foolish, it's a foolish message. And we will know mockery sometimes. And we won't be accepted by the in crowd. Because there will always be an in crowd. There will always be a Sambalat and his associates and the the chiefs of the army. There'll always be those that look upon it with scorn. Have you settled that in your heart, friends? Have you settled it in your heart that one day you might be mocked? Maybe you know that already, that you might be mocked by family. You might be mocked by friends. You might be mocked by those who are very respectable. Have you settled that in your heart? That's what it means to follow Jesus, to take up your cross. The cross being the most shameful of ways to die in the ancient world. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. That means preparing to be scorned and mocked, preparing to be looked down upon. If you settled that in your heart, listen, we need to kind of keep doing that before God. Say, God, help me. Help me. Help me to identify with Jesus. Help me to not long for the respect and praise of men. We've got to do this, friends. But we see here Nehemiah's response. It's in, some ways, it's in some ways encouraging and exemplary for us, and in some ways it's not. Nehemiah responds by turning to God. He hears the mockery, and he turns to God. That's good. That's a good example. A second good example is that he's honest with God. He's really honest with God. He's not trying to put on a front, you can be honest with God. This is a good example to us. But the way that we pray differently as Christians is we pray in line with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, You have heard it said, hate. Right, love, love, those." Let's just read it, shall we? Because otherwise I'm going to quote it wrong. You've heard it said, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43. Let's go there. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is very different, isn't it? He's saying, pray for your enemies, love them, pray for them. And and Nehemiah kind of prays the opposite here, doesn't he? He says, he says Lord, just kind of don't forgive them, don't, don't let them off. And Jesus on the cross... He's, as he's being mocked, as he's being spat at, as he's hanging there in agony, as they're nailing nails into his hands, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So as Christians, our response when we are opposed, when we're mocked, should be to go to God. It should be to be honest with God. It's okay to pray, God, let this stop. But Lord, forgive them. Save them. Move in their lives. This is the kind of prayer that Jesus would have us pray because he's the one who, when he was mocked, he didn't retaliate. And yet he prayed for them. Then we see the second obstacle that uh, Nehemiah and his crew faced. We're going to read verses 6 to 9. So, having been mocked, having prayed, so we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, And the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So just to kind of fill you in on some of those places, these are basically all of the nations that surrounded Judah, all of the nations that surrounded uh, Israel, and, and, and its capital city, Jerusalem. So they're kind of feeling the, the threat here. We're opposed on all sides. We're in trouble. Sometimes we can, we can find that as a church. We can find, oh, just, we're just feeling opposed on all sides. There's pressure on all sides. Sometimes we know periods of great peace. There's moments in the book of Acts where you see both on the early church. There's times when there was real pressure, real persecution, real difficulty, and then there were moments of peace where peace was upon the church. And here, the people of, uh, of Jerusalem working with Nehemiah, they feel very threatened. And they're feeling, uh, they're just kind of, we're surrounded here. There's no way through. But well, what, what do we see Nehemiah do? We see that they prayed and they planned. They prayed and they put men on guard. There's a, there's a kind of acknowledgement here of God's sovereign. We need him to intervene. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one who can uh, do all things. There's nothing too difficult for him, as we've heard. And yet, we're also going to act. We're going to put people on the wall here. We're going to put people on guard. There's a, there's, a, there's a both and here thing. There's a believing and trusting in God's sovereignty, seeing prayer as essential, and there's a planning and an acting. And that's to be our Uh, stance as a church, that we're to be a people of prayer, to be a people who pray and pray regularly and come together to pray and pray in our life groups, pray in our our prayer and vision nights and ask God and we're to act just as they did here. There's sovereignty and action. We know that without God we can do nothing, that it's only he that will save, it's only he that will move, it's only he that will do the work in hearts that we cannot do and yet we're on the front foot. And so if you're involved in any kind of ministry here at Hope Church, it's not just all action, 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 and no prayer. We must pray. We must give things over to God. And nor is it all prayer, 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 and actually no action. We've got to actually be on the front foot and take some steps. We've got to actually plan to do some things. Not just kind of just thinking, well, we've prayed now. Surely it's going to happen. It's it's a both-and thing. We don't want to have this idea of dependence on God to kind of promote just irresponsibility, just not do anything. Now they've put men on the walls here because they know that there's a threat. So there's mockery, there's threats, and then there's fatigue and fear. Let's read on, shall we? Verse 10 uh, through to verse 16. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. This is so key. Let's read this. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armour. So we see some fatigue uh, creeping in here. We learn a little bit later on that this whole uh, work of rebuilding the walls took 52 days, which is miraculous, quite honestly, because this is a lot of work that they're having to go through. It took 52 days in great heat, under uh, great pressure, with limited resources, as we'll see in a minute. They didn't have a lot of food to go around, and um, All the while, they're they're expecting that that they might be attacked at any moment. Fatigue crept in, and all they can start to see is the rubble everywhere. I came and did a number of days laboring here over the course of the building project, and there were days where um, it was just a case of moving rubble. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you work a whole day, and then you look at the rubble and you think, it doesn't look like I've done much here. It's kind of discouraging. You kind of, all you can see is this rubble. It's just rubble. And I, I've just been working for eight hours and I've worked really hard and I can't see any change in this. This is the kind of thing that they're seeing day by day. They're going through the city and it just still seems a mess. And they're working so hard. And you know, when fatigue sets in, when we feel tired, threats can then seem even bigger, can't they? Do you ever find that? Like when you're just so tired and you just, your mind just goes so unreasonable... You just start to, everything is going wrong in the world suddenly. And sometimes all we, all we, need, is, all we need is some sleep. All we need is to actually just, just rest and, and in, in our rest say to God, you are in charge. You know, sleep is a humbling thing, isn't it? <laughs> we have to say, I'm not in charge of the world. And for the next eight or nine hours, it's still going to continue even without me busy, 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 busy. Sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we need to just rest and say, okay, God, you're in charge. And actually when we wake, suddenly we see things a lot clearer. But this is more than that here for these guys because they really are under threat. And it really is a case of working around the clock to build up these walls to counter the threats of the nations around them. It's very, very uh, hard work indeed, but they are panicking in their tiredness. They're not able to keep their eyes fixed on God. And that's something that we, we can all fall into. That in our tiredness, we can take our eyes off of God. And then suddenly everything else seems enormous. And what does Nehemiah say here? He says, remember the Lord. They're probably the most three profound words you'll hear today. Remember the Lord. It's not like they've, they've forgotten that God exists. If they were stopped on the wall, do you believe that God? He goes, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." It's not like they've what God? What? Who's he? No, no, they know. They've not forgotten him in that respect, but they've taken their eyes off him. They've taken their eyes off of God in all of the the busyness, in the stress, in the pressure, under the threats and the mockery. They've taken their eyes off God, and Nehemiah says, "Remember the Lord." This is such a key thing. Remember the Lord. When schemes of the enemy seem overwhelmingly strong to you and I, to our church, where opposition seems to be so great, we must remember the Lord. We've got to get our eyes fixed upon God. Just as we've done this morning, as we've rejoiced and celebrated in that the Lamb has overcome. In that he, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is victorious over the grave. Who's the one who's died and risen again. The one who is holy forever. The one we, if he's for us, then who can be against us? It's these things that we need to sing and remind ourselves of. We need to keep coming back to this. We need to be a community of people who say to each other, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord when you're going through what you're going through. Remember the Lord. Remember him. Don't forget. Fix your eyes on him. We must be a community of people like that. This is why it's so important that we gather as we do. It's so important that we gather in smaller contexts as well. It's so important. We've got to say to each other, hey, don't, don't forget him. Look to him. Fix your eyes on him. Remember the Lord. And then the other things that are opposing us, the other things that are squeezing us, they look at the right size compared to God. These things can become so big in our minds, can't they? You might ask sometimes, do you need to go to church to be a Christian? Well, listen, to have faith in Jesus and to, to, to try to commit to following him, you can try and do that without the church, but you're not going to get very far. You, you need to have Nehemiahs in your life who say, remember the Lord. You need to. This is such an important thing. You need to have people around you who say, remember the Lord. And you need to be that person for others. Remember him. Fix your eyes on him. Don't take your eyes off him. Have a long soak in in the bath of who God is. You need someone to tell you that. Just fix your mind on him. Get into his word. Come and sing. We're going to sing together of God's goodness and greatness, his victory. This is what we need, friends. This is why it's so vital that we gather. We remember together the greater Nehemiah, who in, in Jerusalem, 450 years before, uh, after this Nehemiah, I should say, who he, uh, he went to the cross for us. We, we, we come back again and again to the cross. We don't move on and say, yeah, I know about that. Give me some other information. No, we come back again and again to the greater Nehemiah, Jesus, who on the cross in Jerusalem, uh, he hung there for us. He, uh, he bled and died for us. He actually, in doing so, he, he stamped on the head of the enemy. And the, and the enemy's destination, the enemy's uh, destiny is secure, that he will one day be destroyed. And we'll no longer know uh, this kind of fierce battle that's raging in the world. That we'll know that Jesus is victorious once and for all. We call to mind that he's on the throne. We call to mind that all the enemies of God are going to be made as a footstool for the feet of Jesus. You know, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament a lot. It's a very coherent book, the Bible. And the New Testament, again and again, has quotes from many parts of the Old Testament, but particularly the Psalms. And the most quoted verse of the Old Testament in the New Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is, this is God, the Father, speaking to Jesus, saying, sit at my right hand. I'm going to make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. You know, the New Testament Christians, they rejoiced in the fact that Jesus is the ultimate victor. He's the one who's one day going to sit back, all his enemies as a footstool for his feet. We've got to let this strengthen us, friends. We've got to know, remember the Lord. Remember the great and awesome one. Remember the victorious one, the one when it looked like all was lost. He was actually winning a great victory as he rose from the grave. We've got to, uh, as we remember the Lord, we will not fear. We look to him. We're going to have time to get through the last two obstacles. Number four, selfishness. We're going to whiz through chapter five. But whilst Nehemiah's, um, he's kind of concerned with the rebuilding of the walls, as he's concerned with the threats that surround them as a city, there's also some things going on within the city that are there's big problems. There's there's some great need amongst some of the people. Chapter 5 particularly profiles that. You can read that in your own time. But there's some people who are basically being very selfish because um, there's people who haven't got enough food, and they're having to mortgage their homes. There's people who haven't got enough uh, money to buy resources for the rebuilding. So they're, they're, selling their own, uh, they're selling their own land to very, very wealthy people. So within Jerusalem, you've kind of got uh, some people who are all in and committed. And some that are kind of cashing in on this big project. And, and Nehemiah, uh, hears all about this. And he's very angry. We see he's, he's angered by this injustice. There's people who are being selfish in all of this. We see it in verse 6, I was angered when I heard this. And then verses 9 to 10, let's just see what Nehemiah says to this, because it's really instructive for us. So I continued, what are you doing? So what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields and vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. So Nehemiah is saying, guys, you've got to stop doing that. You've got to stop lending to people and charging them interest because it's actually making people starve here. This is not right. Nehemiah, the way he says it is quite instructive. For us. He says, let us stop doing this. He's not actually himself charging them interest. He's lending people from his own resources, but he's not charging them interest. But He's saying, this is not right. Do you not fear God? Are you not living your life before God? Are you not living your life in a way that wants to honor him in the secret place where no one else sees? Are you not living in such a way that actually references God every day? This is kind of what he's saying to the people here. And this is instructive for us because he enters in. He's not just kind of uh, from above kind of uh, casting judgment upon them. He's saying, come on, we can, we can do better than this. We can honor God with this. There's something of, of, of an instruction for us in the way that which we might sometimes, with brothers and sisters in our church, as we are going together behind the greater Nehemiah, seeing the church uh, built up, seeing the kingdom of God advancing, we might have to say sometimes, hey, guys, this is not how we're to be. The way that you're you're going about that, that's not right. Whatever it might be, it might not be selfishness and greed in this way. It might be something else. We have to appeal. Hey, do you fear God? Do you fear God? Are you are you living your life in a way that actually honours Him? We've got to do that sometimes. We've got to even within our own church family, we have to say to, to, to brothers and sisters, Hey, come on, we don't this is not how we're to live. We're Jesus' people, we live different. It may be that this week, there might be for some of us, we have to even do that and just say to someone with love and gentleness, hey, come on. We're about something greater here. We don't, we don't, have, we don't behave like this. We're going to honor God. We're going to fear him in the right way. So there's selfishness and greed. And then Nehemiah, as we read on in chapter five, he leads by example. He, he doesn't take for the next 12 years of his uh, governorship of Jerusalem, he doesn't take... Um, the resources that are rightfully his, the kind of of privileges that he can enjoy as a governor. He doesn't actually take them on board for himself. He wants to share it out out amongst the people. So he's not just saying, do what I say. He's saying, do what I do. Imitate me, he's saying. Let us be those kind of people. Finally, we're into chapter 6, and there's deception and distraction. And Sambalat understands he's getting nowhere with the intimidation. He's getting nowhere with the plot and the threat, and he says, come on then, Nehemiah, let's, let's have a meeting. I'll arrange it, we can go halfway, you don't have to come all the way to me. Let's meet halfway, let's have a meeting. And he, Nehemiah understands, I'm being deceived here. There's a trick, I'm going to be taken out here. There's probably going to be an assassin waiting on the road for me. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. But even if that wasn't the case, he's saying, I am too focused on the job that I've got to do to come and meet you halfway, Sambalat. I've got, I've got too much to be getting on with. I'm not going to be distracted from what God has given me to do by uh, deception and temptation. I'm just not going to go there. And friends, we, we're going to face temptations of all kinds. And sometimes it's not even explicitly sinful stuff. It's sometimes just stuff like mindless scrolling of algorithms on Instagram or whatever that will just distract us from the work God's got us to do. Things that just distract us. We've got something to do. God has given us something to do. As Tim so helpfully shared last week, he's given us a great work to do and to play our part in. And there's going to be times when we're distracted or tempted to be distracted, to come and meet our enemy halfway, as it were. Just some compromise, just a little bit of compromise. And I saying, no, no, no. I've got too much to do. I am focused on the job. I am not going to come down from where I am. I'm working on something really important here. And I really believe that if, um, if we are committed to, in all that we do, seeing the kingdom of God advancing, if we're committed to um, seeing his church be the beautiful bride that she is to be, If we're committed to this, I I think there'll be so many of the things that we struggle with. We'll just be able to say, I haven't got time for that. I haven't got time to go there. I'm I'm I'm, I'm preoccupied with something God's given me to do. So often we're just bored. Just I'm not really doing what I should be doing. I'm not working in God's kingdom. And so we get lured into things. And Nehemiah is saying, I just, I'm not going there. I'm not going to come down from here. I've got stuff to do. Yes, yes, God grants us rest, friends. Oh, yes, praise God for rest and time off and all of that. But we've got stuff to do. He's given us things to do, each one of you, each one of us. And there'll be temptations. There'll be sambalats of this world saying, hey, come on down. Come on down. Come and do this. And we can say, no, 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 I, I'm about something. I'm about something greater than this. It's deception and it's a distraction. Maybe you've, maybe you've taken up that invite to down tools recently. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you feel, I've just I've messed up. I took my eye off what God had for me. I, I know that you will. I know that I will. Our, our confidence is, is not in how hard we work at the wall. Our confidence is, is that in the one who when people called out to him, hey, if you are the son of God, come down from that cross. Our confidence is in the one who says, no, 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 I'm about a greater work, who didn't come down from the cross, who who could have come down, or at any moment he could have called upon hundreds, thousands of fearsome angels to, to see him freed from that horrible situation. But no, no, he hung there for you and I. He was about a work, it was about a work that he, just as we'll see next uh, time, that Nehemiah said, we finished the work. Jesus was able to cry out, it is finished. That's our confidence, friends. Our confidence is in the one who finished the work on our behalf on the cross, who, when tempted to come down, said, no, no, I'm about a greater work. I'm not coming down. I'm here. I'm about a work that God has given me to do. That's, that's our confidence, friends. So if you've failed, if you've known, yeah, I've down-tooled, I've, I've, I've just kind of gone and given into temptation, you can come to him today and receive his grace, receive his mercy. Because it was never about how good you were at building in the first place. You can receive afresh his mercy for you. Even as we sing in just a moment, if the band can come and be ready. This is our confidence. It's the one, the greater Nehemiah, who hung on the cross for us, Jesus Christ. He didn't come down, friends. And he's got a work now that he's about in the world. A work where he's building his kingdom. And uh, friends, this, what's so apparent to me is that Nehemiah, as he faced obstacle after obstacle, he was not deterred. There was something that burned within him. There was a call of God on his life that burned within him. Friends, have you kind of lost the sight of that? Have you lost that burning vision in your heart? Oh, I must see. I must see the church of Jesus Christ be all she can be. I must see her rising and shining. I must see people flooding to know Jesus. Have you lost that kind of burning passion in your heart? Well, today, even as we sing, I want to pray for us that God will restore that to you. That you will, just as Nehemiah says in chapter 4, stand, fight for your families fight for your wives, fight for your children, that you might be a man who fights in prayer for your family or a woman who fights in prayer for your family. That will be those that say, I'm going to fight. I'm going to come to God. I'm going to ask him to do a great work. Myself and Robin George, we're doing a life group this term for dads, and it's been wonderful so far. I'm just so encouraged to see dads saying, I'm not just going to let my kids be raised in the ways of this world. I'm not just going to let them just I'm, just, I'm not going to passively just say, yeah, okay, just go away and do what you want. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to fight for my family in prayer. I'm going to raise my children in the ways of Jesus. This is the kind of thing that Nehemiah is getting at to fight, to say, I've got a vision and I, I'm going to fight to see that outworked. Are we going to be those that, Nehemiah says, there's a moment in chapter four, you can read it for yourself, where he says, We didn't take our clothes off at night, we slept with our, our swords by our sides. We didn't, we didn't even. We didn't switch off from the battle that we're in. Friends, praise God for, as I say, for downtime and rest. But we're never not in a battle. We're never not in a, in a great cosmic war that is raging. The Bible again and again peels back the curtains and says, this is what's really going on in the world. You may think you're just kind of going about your nine to five, but there's a war raging. There's a battle raging. We've got to be those that fight. We've got to be those that stand in God's power. Now, will we stand even now? I want to just read these last uh, few verses to us from Ephesians chapter 6. Let's stand where we are. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may, may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. We could read on there, but we're going to pray now and we're going to sing in response. Lord God, as we as we just face the... The reality that we are in a battle, as we face the reality that we will be opposed uh, in so many different ways, as we face the reality that there's an enemy of our souls who wants to uh, distract and deceive and uh, hurl mockery, Uh, we just come before you now and we say, Heavenly Father, we want to come to remember you. We want to call to our mind who you are. Lord Jesus, we come to remember you. We come to fix our mind afresh on who you are, Lord Jesus. The one who has won the victory. The one who has crushed the head of the evil serpent. The one who will one day destroy him forever. Lord Jesus, you're the one who will return in glorious victory. And Lord Jesus, we just pray now, come and strengthen us. We want to be those that stand in your mighty power. We want to be those that fight for our families. We want to be those that fight for our church in the place of prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to be so resolute in all that you've called us to do. That we won't go there when temptation comes knocking. Lord Jesus, that we'd be those that burn with your call in our hearts. I pray for my friends here that you would just come and reignite something in hearts. Maybe it's gone cold. Maybe we've downed tools. Maybe we've gone off and we've uh, fallen into all kinds of traps. Lord God, come and revive. Come revive a call in hearts. We want to remember you, Lord Jesus. We want to look to see the great and awesome one and celebrate you for who you are. Help us, I pray. Take us forward in your purposes. In Jesus' name. Amen.